All right, now I hope you've had enough time. Uh, I reckon if we'd be able to tap into each of your conversations, right, there'd be an angel or two, the announcement to Mary, the announcement to Joseph, the surprise at the news, how can this be, she says. All right, then there's the unwelcome news of the census. Who had the census in there? Oh, no one. You all missed it. Already, already. We have to go to Bethlehem. Right, who had the donkey? Oh, again, you guys, I mean, I don't know what story you were talking about. Maybe it's not so well known after all. They get to Bethlehem. There's no room at the inn. Who had that one in there? Okay, good. Now we're starting to pick up pace. Okay, baby born wrapped in swaddling cloths and laid in a manger. Is that familiar language? Right, what comes next? Shepherds. Who had shepherds? Angels, more angels, glory, choir. The shepherds go, what are you talking about? Right, go and see, you'll find a baby wrapped up and in a manger. And they go, that's ridiculous. Off they go, they find them. Wise men, who had wise men? Surely, right? And there's the story. Or is it? Now, in the Gospel of Luke, the biography of Jesus, there are 95 verses, that's how long it takes to cover the nativity story, 95 verses. 61 of those 95 verses, nearly two-thirds, are about the other baby. Who had the other baby in their nativity story? A couple of you did, well done. And you thinking, what? What other baby? What do you mean? It's about Jesus, right? Actually, there were two babies in the nativity story. Jesus and his cousin, John. Why is so much of the nativity story not about Jesus? Why is two-thirds of it about this other baby? We'll come to that. Let me tell you the story really quickly. Okay? There's Zechariah and Elizabeth, the other forgotten parents, poor things. Joseph and Mary, they get all the press. Zechariah and Elizabeth, they have their own problems. Old people who'd never been able to have children. Does that sound familiar? Righteous. They pleased God. He was a priest. Right? He was like a Jew of Jew. A man who knew what it was all about. No children. One day he's in the temple doing his priestly duties and an angel appears to him. I mean, it's, it's like the mirror to what happens to Joseph and Mary. Zechariah, of course, freaks out, right? Angels, ah! And the angel says, it's okay, don't worry, because you're going to have a baby. And Zechariah says, yeah, right. I mean... <laughs> You know how old I am, mate. you haven't even seen my missus. I mean, we are like way past it. There's no way we're having a baby. The angel says, no, you will. You will. Because you don't believe me, from this moment, you will be unable to speak until that baby is born. And Zechariah said... Right? <laughs> In fact, listen to what the angel had to say about this baby. There will be joy and delight for you and many will rejoice at his birth. He will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the disobedient of to the understanding of the righteous to make ready for the Lord a prepared people. John the Baptist will come and prepare the way. Six months later, same angel appears to Mary. Mary, you're going to have a baby. She goes, no way, I haven't, I'm not married. He goes, no, it's okay, you will have a baby. 
Mary says, how am I supposed to believe you? This all sounds a bit too crazy. This is too much to be true. Now, how was it that she was supposed to know? Well, the angel said, I'll tell you how you could know that this is going to happen. Consider your relative Elizabeth. She has conceived in her old age. And this is the sixth month for her who was called childless. Nothing will be impossible with God, right? How was Mary supposed to know she was going to have a baby? Well, because the impossible has already happened. Elizabeth is going to have a baby. Mary goes, I'm going to find out. Off she goes, visits Elizabeth. As she walks in the door, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt inside her and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed, blessed are you among all women. The first person to recognise the arrival of Jesus was Elizabeth and the baby inside of her. And so the baby was born. The moment that Zechariah writes he will be called John, he regains his voice and this is his speech. This is our Bible reading tonight, is to listen to one of the men in history who had the single best view of who Jesus is and what he came to do. You ever wanted to hear what a Jewish rabbi, a scholar, a priest says about Jesus? Tonight we're going to hear it. So we're going to have the Bible read. I'd encourage you to open up to Luke chapter 1. If you don't have your own Bible, you'll find one in a pew around you somewhere. And we're going to read verses 67 to 80. Thanks, Anne. So the Bible reading is Luke chapter 1, verses 56, sorry, 57 to 80. And that's found on page 908 of the Pew Bible. Now the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth, and she had a son. Then her neighbours and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her his great mercy, and they rejoiced with her. When they came to circumcise the child on the eighth day, they were going to name him Zechariah after his father. But his mother responded, No, he will be called John. Then they said to her, None of your relatives has that name. So they motioned to his father to find out what he wanted him to be called. He asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they were all amazed. Immediately his mouth was opened, And his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. Fear came on all those who lived around around them. And all these things were being talked about throughout the hill country of Judea. All who heard about him took it to heart, saying, What then will this child become? For indeed, the Lord's hand was with him. Then his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Blessed is the God, blessed is the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and provided redemption for his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, just as he spoke, just as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets in ancient times. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of those who hate us. He has dealt mercifully with our fathers and remembered his holy covenants. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham, he has given us the privilege since, he, since we have been rescued from the hand of our enemies to serve him without fear 
in holiness and righteousness, in his presence all our days. And you, child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of our God's merciful compassion, the dawn from on high will visit us to shine on those who live in darkness and the shadow of death, to, to guide our feet into the way of peace. The child grew up and became spiritually strong, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Thank you, Anne. You ever wondered what to think about Jesus? Well, can I encourage you tonight to listen to what Zechariah saw? I can't think of anyone better placed to tell us what to think. He, he was close to the source. He had clearly knew the Bible very well, the Old Testament. He knew what to expect and he was divinely inspired. So in our few minutes tonight, what I want to do is talk about these two babies. These two astonishing stories that have changed the lives of literally billions of people around the world. And let's start with John the Baptist. Let's start with seeing what it is that Zechariah saw. Now, I'm just focusing on the last four verses. There's a couple of years' worth of Christmas sermons in here, I think. So tonight we're just going to pick four. We'll save a few for next year. Listen to what Zechariah saw of his own son. Look down at verse 76 with me. You, child, his own son, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. A prophet, the voice of God, the one who speaks for God himself to prepare his ways. John would come and then God himself will arrive. John was, if you like, the warm-up act. Yeah, you know what a warm-up act is. You know, they have it often with stand-up comedians. It's the guy who comes and kind of gets everyone in the mood. Right? The stand-up comedian, uh, I think the warm-up act is meant to be slightly lower calibre than the main event. Like, it, it's a bit bad if the stand-up act, the warm-up act is the better one of the two. That, that's kind of uh, a bit on the nose. Or, or when a band, a band's coming to play, right? And they get the warm-up act first. Uh, I think possibly to deafen everybody a little bit so that when the main band comes on, if they're not playing super well, it's okay, you're already a bit deaf. I wasn't quite sure what the warm-up act for a preacher would be. Uh, if anyone's got ideas, come and tell me later. Maybe we'll organise it for in the future. Uh, but but the, the, the role of the warm-up act is to prepare people. Right? The comedian, the warm-up guy, just gets people laughing, just gets you in the mood so that when the main event arrives, you're ready for them. What was John the Baptist supposed to do? How was he going to prepare people for the coming of God himself. Well, verse 77, how will he prepare it? To give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of sins. Now that's some preparation, isn't it? To come and teach the people of God how to find salvation through forgiveness of sin. Not through hard work and merit and earning it. Not to bring the list of do's and don'ts. Not to provide the religious works that they had to do for God to, to teach them about salvation through the forgiveness of sins. 
You see, the story of Christmas, it can be lots of different things. I don't know what Christmas means to you. For lots of us, it's kind of warm, fuzzy feelings. My wife has this love-hate relationship with Christmas. She absolutely adores it and it stresses her out of her brain. Anyone else feel that same thing, right? The staying up late, the wrapping, the presents, the organising, the family and the food and getting to... And it's just like, oh, it tires me out just thinking of it. And then I ask her a week from now, how was Christmas? Oh, it was the best. I loved it. I can't wait for next year, right? It's just... It's warm fuzzies, maybe. Or perhaps Christmas for you is this moment, the, the religious moment of the year. I've been to church. I've ticked it off for another year. I've done the duty. I've sung the carols. I sat through whatever the preacher had to say. Right? Maybe that's Christmas for you. I'll tell you what is at the heart of Christmas, if you really want to understand it, is that one little sentence, three words, forgiveness of sin. And it starts with knowing sin. Elon Musk is quite a guy. I don't know what you think of Elon Musk. Um, loved, hated, whatever it might be. He has accomplished some astonishing things. One of his slightly lesser known companies is a company called Neuralink. Anyone heard of them? Their aim is to create a direct implant from a computer into your brain so that information can travel in both directions very, very quickly. His problem is we're too slow at typing. Let's get little probes into our brain so that we can think faster and the computers can connect to us. Now imagine for a moment that happens and we manage to have this technology that can read your mind and it begins to record a log of every thought you ever have. You don't know about this, by the way, because it's like Apple or Google, right? One of those people who just suck all your data and you never even notice it. <laughs> every thought, every moment of interaction with another person where you think about them, nice things and not so nice things. Every moment when you're alone and you have images in your mind and thoughts about people. Every single thought captured. Would you ever show anybody? Of course not. Of course not. But can you imagine them seeing what happens in here? Can you imagine them knowing what I've been thinking, what you've been thinking? You see, we talk about sin, really it's a set of symptoms and our very own thoughts are enough to condemn us, aren't they? If we're not prepared to show that to another person, imagine if God got to see that. Imagine if we were judged based on that. Even by our own standards, we would fail. Because otherwise, we'd happily show the world. Now, sin, of course, isn't about morality. It's not about doing good or being good or even thinking rightly. That's not the heart of sin. Those are symptoms. The heart of sin is our rejection of God, our relationship to God. It's born out of the fact that we say to God, no, thank you very much. I'll live my own way. And I, I can show that to you, right? It's, it's a, such a dead simple thing to prove. When was the last time that you thanked God for every single good thing in your life? And that's where it comes from. You might have thanked Him for one or two. Maybe you said grace before dinner tonight, right? If that's, if that's your habit. 
But we don't. We don't stop to thank Him. But that enough alone is to show you that we don't treat God as God. He gives us all the good things we have and we just walk around saying, yep, look at the great stuff that I got for myself. <laughs> Aren't I brilliant? Imagine if your children treated you that way. You slaved to provide for you. And not once do they stop and say, thank you. Forgiveness of sins. It's hard news, by the way. This, this, this Christmas message, bright and cheery, to come and be told that we're terrible and that we face condemnation, that we're in trouble. But it shouldn't be a surprise to us, right? Do you know the one time of the year where intimate partner violence increases above every other time of the year, where domestic abuse is at its highest? Do you know the one time of the year when it is? Who wants to have a guess? Christmas! Yay for cheer! But we know it, right? It's, it's a caricature of the family infighting, the people who don't talk to each other, the cousin who doesn't come anymore, the uncle who gets drunk and starts insulting it. Like, we caricature it because it's true. We know what we're like. And God knows what we're like. And so we are in trouble. Can I ask you just a really blunt question? Do you want to go to hell? I really don't want that for you. You, you. you don't want that for yourself. And so that's why those three words matter, because the last one is sin, but the first one is forgiveness. John the Baptist came to prepare the way to give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of sin. Justice would deserve condemnation, but mercy, ah, now we're talking. You see, now is when we see that second baby, and of course we're going to get to Jesus, because it is Christmas, and however much I want to paint it about John, it really is about Jesus. You see, what is it that Zechariah saw as the Lord came? Have a look at verse 78. Because of our God's merciful compassion the dawn from on high will visit us to shine on those who live in darkness, in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. It's because God is kind, by the way, not because we deserve it, not because he's looking down at us going, oh, they're so lovely, I better go save them. It's because he is merciful and compassionate. You know compassion, right? Compassion is when you see a need and you meet it. God saw our need. It's such a simple picture, isn't it? Can you put the photo up for us, Adam? There's a single photo there. Dawn. When you, when you move out of darkness into light. When suddenly all the fears of the night are gone, when, when the lostness that comes in darkness dissipates. You ever been in a pitch black situation before? And I don't just mean at home and you turn the lights out to see if it was cool. I mean like out somewhere, right? You're, you're a bit lost. You're in a bit of danger. You're in a situation where actually without light, I'm in trouble. Stumbling. No knowledge of whether you're about to go off a ravine. It's terrifying. We went to the Noon's Glowworm Caves a few years ago. 
And you, you get to a moment in the cave, you've never been, it's amazing by the way, you get to a moment in the cave where you turn and you can't see either end, it's a long tunnel, all of a sudden you're in pitch black and that's where you turn the torches off, right, and freak the kids out because that's the fun bit. But actually you have this moment where because your eyes are accustomed to the light, it is truly pitch black, it's, it's a rocky gravelly tunnel, when we went there was water running through it and you, you just, you freeze. I have nothing, I have no hope. I have no mechanism to move myself forward. I have no ability to do anything. Now, of course, it's a glowworm tunnel, so the glowworms then start glowing and it's no longer pitch black. It only happens for an instant. But that instant where the light begins to shine is so glorious. The darkness we face is the darkness of the shadow of death. The darkness of an eternity cut off from life. On us, the new day dawns. The Lord Himself has come. God Himself entered into our world, merciful and compassionate. Did you notice why? To guide our feet into the way of peace. What a lovely description. Ultimately, Christmas leads to Easter. I hope if you came tonight and you're not used to coming to church, at least come back at Easter, yeah? I'd love to see you next Sunday, but if you don't, that's okay. Come back at Easter to hear about the baby who grew and who died because that death was required to pay the guilt price so that there could be forgiveness of your sin, no longer a penalty to be paid, but mercy. Out of that darkness, light, a new way to real, everlasting peace. Jesus said it very simply. He said, I am the way, the truth and the life. You don't get it more simple than that. Now, this is an untold part of the story, right? John the Baptist, he, he loses out in all the tellings of the nativity. No one tells you, of the. we did a nativity play this morning. There was no John the Baptist. He missed out. And yet, what a glorious vision Zechariah had. Can I, can I ask, if you're going to take one thing away from tonight, would you listen to this man? He really did have the best view of Jesus. Let him challenge your perspective of who Jesus is. He saw in this baby the saviour of the world. Not, not a generic world, not some people out there, but of you if you will but trust him. He saw in John his own son, the one who would prepare the way, teaching knowledge of salvation. And so this Christmas, can I invite you to know salvation, to learn, hear from John, be taught from John. Jesus is the one who makes forgiveness of sins possible. And can I say to you, if you're somebody who already knows this, who has entrusted their life to Jesus and has received the amazing blessing that comes, perhaps we need to learn a little bit from Zechariah as well. Come back to verse 68 and listen to how he just rejoices. Blessed is the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and provided redemption for his people. Is that your language? Are you going to Christmas... We'll probably lunch tomorrow by the time we all get up. Actually, church tomorrow, 9 o'clock, we're back on, right? You're all going to be here, it'll be great. Same sermon, but we're having a good time, so let's just do it again, right? But by the time you get to lunchtime, are you telling somebody about how praiseworthy your God is? 
Is this your language? Zechariah was so excited that he couldn't help but bless the name of the Lord. Will you go this Christmas and be so filled with the joy of knowing Jesus, the thankfulness in your heart? Don't be selfish, keeping it to you. Don't be cowardly. Instead, will you share? The day has dawned. The Saviour has come. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus, this little baby who grew, was perfect in every way, who died for us, and even today brings us out of the shadow of death and into a new day. Our Heavenly Father, we praise you for your goodness, your kindness, your mercy, your compassion in all that you've done for us. Amen.